This is Madeline Smith, and you are listening to Actually Interesting History. We make history fun, accessible, and interesting by sharing the human story behind the dates we learned about in history class. As Richard Kipling said, if history was taught in the form of stories, it would never be forgotten. Now on with the show. Hello friends, we are covering ancient Rome and as such, we'll be going over some adult themes as in we will be talking about self-harm and quite a bit of violence today. Uh, while I am never explicit, please review before sharing with young ones. Thank you. Welcome back to another episode of Actually Interesting History. We are going to jump right back into Caligula's story. Uh, if you listened to last week, this is going to make a lot more sense. Uh, Germanicus, Caligula's father, just died suddenly. Up until this point, Caligula had enjoyed being a part of a large, well-connected family, something very impressive uh, in this time in Roman history, just having a large family. We talked about this. Birth rates were really low. And while his father was traveling for work, you know, generaling and things of that nature, he would bring the whole family along. It was while he was dealing with reorganized Rome's Eastern interests that Germanicus died suddenly in 19 AD. Caligula was about seven years old. Germanicus had only been 33 when he died. While he definitely got sick suddenly, there is still a lot of mystery surrounding his death. Germanicus himself, as he lay dying, accused Piso, the man Tiberius had sent to govern Syria and to basically aid Germanicus in his reorganization. Uh, Germanicus accused Piso specifically of poisoning him. Uh, this rumor quickly spread throughout the empire. And soon, the added detail that Tiberius had put Piso up to it because of Germanicus's rising popularity also began to spread. And again, last week we talked about how Germanicus and Tiberius are very much contrasted in uh, the ancient writings, but it's hard to say if those comparisons were actually happening at the time that they were alive, even though that's definitely the narrative that's put in by historians um, at a later date. Also, while Germanicus was young and healthy, this is the ancient world, and it's not that hard to get sick. Granted, yes, once you make it past uh, your childhood, and then for a woman, if you make it past uh, childbirth, you tend, like, you can reach those older ages, but you can also just eat bad meat that's been sitting out too long end up getting a terrible stomach ache and without the right medications, without being able to get hydration, stuff like that, you can just die. <laughs> so do I think that Germanicus was actually poisoned? Who's to say? But he definitely thought that he was. As Agrippina and Caligula traveled back to Rome with Germanicus's ashes, people came and followed them from well outside the city to show their own grief at the death of Germanicus. Huge crowds came to the funeral and Tiberius actually gave a eulogy to the Senate on behalf of Germanicus. Now this is going to come up as a theme throughout the rest of Caligula's story, but the people loved Germanicus. We did a little comparison to how Germanicus was like Brad Pitt, Prince William, and the real life character 
uh, that Brad Pitt, or maybe even I think Hector in Troy is probably a better description, but that's what Germanicus was. Like all of those characteristics rolled into one person and his popularity did not wane after he died. And this is going to play out in a big way throughout the rest of Caligula's life. So I just want to put that note in here. Now I mentioned a rumor was spreading that Piso was responsible for Germanicus's death. This is a rumor that again, Germanicus in fact started. This rumor eventually led to formal charges being brought against Piso by some senators. I remember reading the names of the specific people, but there are so many names that I just was like, senators, fair enough. <laughs> so Tiberius first heard the evidence and then he was like, no, send this case to the Senate. And this may have been because at one point Tiberius and Piso had been friends and maybe Tiberius didn't want to be directly responsible for his death. So Piso was given an extremely fair trial by ancient standards. He was given a lot of opportunities to call witnesses to try to prove his innocence. He was given more time to defend himself than the prosecutors were to try to say, no, you definitely did this. But it's clear that by the end of the trial, everyone knew how it was going to go and Piso ultimately committed suicide. Maybe. Another way to interpret this event is that Tiberius didn't want to look guilty, so he had the trial overseen by the Senate. It's not that he didn't want to execute Piso because of some old friendship. It was that he didn't want to look directly responsible, so he wanted the Senate to take the fall instead. And then he had Piso killed and made it look like a suicide so that he could make sure he wouldn't talk. And by he, I mean Piso wouldn't talk as Tiberius had in fact put Piso up to murdering Germanicus. Since again, Tiberius had sent Piso to the East with Germanicus. Who knows what is actually right, but either way, Tiberius was, <laughs> I write this, but this is such an understatement, increasingly disliked by the Roman people. Take that for what it is. Another person whose dislike of Tiberius was slowly increasing, mom, Agrippina the Elder. Now remember that Tiberius had at one point been married to Julia, Caligula's grandmother and Agrippina's mother. This had been done at Augustus's command. Augustus adopted Tiberius after he adopted Germanicus and then there were a bunch of marriages that happened that led to Agrippina's marriage. And Agrippina's mom was married to Tiberius because Julia was Augustus's only blood offspring. Well, shortly after Tiberius became emperor, he exiled Julia and she either starved to death or she was starved to death. It's kind of hard to say when people are in exile, but either way, she ends up dead. And I've heard that Tiberius and Julia did not like each other their entire lives and both really resented the fact that this marriage happened. Also, Tiberius was happily married when he was made to divorce and marry Julia. And I think that that resentment definitely boiled over as soon as Augustus was no longer there. So Tiberius now had grandchildren. These children were the offspring of his first marriage. So he had had a son that son had now had children. 
And so now Agrippina is fearful that Tiberius was not going to respect the line of secession that Augustus had created because Germanicus was no longer around and instead pick his own blood son, whose name is Drusus, or the grandchildren over her own children. So this is all just leading to a lot of conflict and a lot of bad feeling between Agrippina the Elder and Tiberius. I think that it's time now that Tiberius is going to be very much at the center of all the action for the foreseeable future of Caligula's story that we revisit his character. We went over how throughout history and probably, probably during their lives, Germanicus and Tiberius were often cast against each other. Germanicus being the best of Rome and Tiberius not so much. We went over how Tiberius, just a few moments ago, we mentioned he, he very much, I think, was not actually fit for the job. And I think that this is represented in the fact that Augustus at one point was even going to skip him over. It was very much Tiberius's mother, Livia, who wanted him to be emperor. And she was the one that really put these strings into place that resulted in the fact that Tiberius had divorced the wife that he actually liked. It caused a lot of turmoil in his life. And he very much didn't seem to have the leadership and the natural ability that Augustus did. Tiberius had inherited an incredibly obscure job. <laughs> That's quite an understatement. But basically, Augustus had this like great ability at getting people to do what he wanted to do, while at the same time acting like he wasn't in charge, like he was like this resentful, like not resentful, um, reluctant. He was this reluctant leader that had to take power, but he didn't want to abuse it, even though that Augustus very much wanted to be in power. And we kind of talked about how the mechanisms of how Rome changed from Republic to Empire were very convoluted and strange. And Tiberius just simply was not the kind of actor that Augustus was. And the confusion around what he wanted led to a lot of disagreements with the Senate. I want you to picture a manager or maybe a teacher, depending on what point in your life that you are. And this manager can never, absolutely never, just tell you what they want. Their requests are open-ended. The syllabus, hilariously short if you're in school. So you do your best to do what they want based on what they said. And then when it comes time to present that PowerPoint, that presentation, that whatever it is that they asked you to put together, they get extremely angry at you because you didn't do what they knew they wanted from the beginning but didn't bother communicating it to you. This is the kind of manager slash teacher that Tiberius was. Hilariously short syllabuses, but if things didn't go directly the way he thought that things were gonna go in his head, even though he didn't communicate that, only if he, <laughs> only, so that, like, that would be incredibly frustrating. But then imagine that instead of just like, I don't know, uh, maybe getting fired, worst case scenario, a teacher giving you a B, whatever it is, instead he could have you executed for not doing what he wanted. 
that's the kind of stress that Tiberius was putting these senators in. And so they basically, he would say something, they'd scramble around trying to do what they wanted. And then he'd get mad because he'd be like, why aren't you doing like what I told you? And they're like, you didn't. You uh, <laughs> Anyways, that that is the management style of Tiberius in a nutshell. And it just I think that that illustrates the closest that we can in our modern day life. The stress that people were under trying to make Tiberius happy and the stakes were so, so much higher. Tiberius, for his part, knew, especially after the death of Germanicus, that he was becoming steadily more unpopular. He seemed, he seemed unhappy with the position that he was in as his uh, popularity decreases, uh, his desire to be in Rome decreased as well. And this led to a quote I saw in one of my sources, it's Caligula, a biography, I'll link everything in the show notes on my website. But he said, he described Tiberius as follows, to trust no man but one, and to trust him too much. And the reason this comes into play is as Tiberius is becoming unpopular, again, an emperor in Rome, even though that's not the word they were using, but just for, for, <laughs> for simplicity's sake, an emperor of Rome is an incredibly new position. And he knew that people wanted the power. And I think that that as he especially became less popular, he becomes more isolated. He's not trusting people at all. And he ends up putting all of his faith into one person and trusting that person too much. At first, Tiberius shared responsibility with his son Drusus in 22 AD, and this was much to the dismay of Agrippina the Elder, by the way. Meanwhile, Tiberius is taking longer and longer vacations every year to get away from the senators. Tiberius described the senators as men fit to be slaves. Uh, these are his words, not mine. I'm sure that that made him incredibly popular. Unfortunately, Drusus died mysteriously in AD 23. Coincidentally, right around this time, there was a new guy, Sejanus, who had become the Praetorian Perfect in AD 15. The Perfect was basically the head of the emperor's like bodyguards, kind of think secret service, but ancient Rome, and gained a lot of power. Sejanus and Drusus actually had not gotten along. And I'm not saying that Sejanus did something, but the timing did work out very well for him. Sejanus is actually rumored to have been having an affair with Drusus's wife at this point, who also happened to be the sister of Germanicus. This family tree is nuts. And trust me, I'm leaving a lot of things out just because I think it would confuse you and not really add to the story. So <laughs> family tree is crazy. It's also rumored that Sergianus may have gotten Drusus's wife to poison her husband. Again, I'm not saying that this happened, but it did work out well for him. Also, there's back and forth on whether Sejanus actually was having an affair. At one point, those two definitely 
end up together, but it's not clear when it started. But moving forward, Tiberius called Sejanus in a Latin titer, a title that basically meant partner of my labors. I'm not going to bother trying to say the Latin. And Tiberius also became less visible to the Roman people. He already was taking increasingly long vacations. And as he gradually withdrew, Sejanus took his place. With the death of Drusus in 23 AD, about four years after Germanicus's death, the family Germanicus left behind started being mentioned in conversations surrounded who should inherit the throne. At this point, Caligula's two older brothers are 17 and 16, and Tiberius actually recommended them to the senators. Caligula was only about 10 at this time, so he was pretty much left out of the conversation. And when I say recommended, basically Tiberius was like, I want to say like sponsoring maybe like he was saying these are important people so the senators started giving a bunch of honors to the elder son of germanicus the elder sons of germanicus because they thought that that was what they were supposed to do we explained very obscure directions and then tiberius complained because he honestly probably felt jealous uh remember not good at communicating what he actually wants and he also just seems, I don't know if this is clear yet, but Tiberius is not one of my favorite historical figures. I, he's probably just petty and jealous. And normally I like petty energy, but I don't, I, I'm just not feeling it with him. So at the same time, Sejanus begins making moves against Agrippina and by extension, her children. Now, why did he start doing this? Is it possible that he really did just see Agrippina as a threat to his own power? And so having her sons inherit would risk him losing power as there's already some animosity between the family of Germanicus and Serjanus. So maybe it really is as simple as he just wants to keep power. It's, it's also possible though, and I feel like I need to share the other side of this, that Serjanus was really just doing his job, which was protecting Tiberius. And Agrippina may have seemed like a threat to, to Tiberius because she probably did think that Tiberius had been the person ultimately behind Germanicus's death. Either way, Agrippina now found herself in trouble. And the sources go back, on, back and forth about how actively Agrippina was working at this time. Some say she was peaking, speaking poorly about Tiberius. She really was like blaming him for her husband's death, maybe even plotting against Tiberius. There are some historians, namely Tacitus, who does say that this was in fact happening. Agrippina was actively plotting against Tiberius, in which case Sejanus working against her pretty much part of his job. So I feel like I have to be fair here. Either way, this ends up happening. And I also want to throw in the quick caveat that Agrippina is a woman in the ancient world. And so her doing anything that gets her name mentioned is basically a negative for the historians that are writing about her. That's very much outside of what a Roman woman was supposed to do. We even said Tacitus himself said in the 
first episode, I quoted him when he said that basically Agrippina had way too much spunk for a woman, but Germanicus being around helped her be a model woman. And the implication of that is now that Germanicus isn't there, there's nobody checking her personality. Again, not my feelings. This is the feelings of ancient men. Please remember that. So um, it's very hard to say. Who knows? Eventually, Sejanus actually just goes to Tiberius and says that he thought Agrippina wanted to divide the Roman people against Tiberius. Then Sejanus, he starts to do he starts to do this thing that very much colors what I think Rome was like at this time, at least in the upper classes. He starts going after the allies of Germanicus's family. During the reign of Tiberius, there's this practice. It's L-E-X-M-A-I-E-S-T-A-T-I-S, which basically means crimes against the emperor. And this practice of blaming people for this becomes increasingly common. And this meant that anyone could run to Tiberius and claim that someone else was plotting against the emperor or even just speaking negatively against the emperor. And your opponent, the person that you just tattled on, would be most of the time put to death in some way or another, you know, exiled, whatever, but ultimately it's getting them out of the way. And if you do this and they're found guilty, you get a portion of their stuff. Now imagine that we're in the ancient world. We're the con the concept of good and bad, very ambiguous. Have you ever heard any of the stories of the Roman gods? And tell me that you get a lot of high moral ideas out of those. And these are the type of people that are running Rome. So no surprise here, people quickly start abusing this for personal reasons, resulting in a lot of bloodshed. And eventually Agrippina, noticing that all her friends all of a sudden keep dying, went to Tiberius and complained, and he openly accused her of plotting for power. This is really bad. Eventually, tensions between the two got so bad that Agrippina openly refused to eat the food at a banquet Tiberius was hosting because she was convinced that he was trying to poison her. Uh, Tiberius noticed that she wasn't eating and offered her fruit he handed to her personally himself, and she still refused to eat it and passed it to a slave. This is a huge insult to Tiberius, huge. There are some sources that, again, say that Sejanus actually used people to orchestrate this event. Like he got people to whisper, whisper into Agrippina's ear that she was going to be poisoned so she would start having doubts and start to get really nervous. And then getting other people to hint to Tiberius that if Agrippina is afraid that he's going to po po poison her, <laughs> she must be guilty of something. And honestly, this is like 4D chess level political intrigue. This makes the tutors look silly and I'm obsessed with political tutor intrigue. And I go back on and forth on what people's motivations are. 
what they're really thinking, you know, like, frankly, the truth is that we're never going to know. And I think that the best we can do is try the best that I can do personally is try to inform you as best as I can on the possible scenarios, tell you what happened and that you and then let you connect the dots as you wish. So was Sejanus in the background orchestrating all of this, making all of these things happen? Maybe he definitely had a lot of power. I think that it could also be that people who wanted Sejanus to favor them would do things that they knew, even though he didn't directly ask them to do it, would result in him getting in him being happy. So what I mean by this is maybe you're a young senator and you know that Sejanus has the ear of Tiberius. That's ultimately where the power is. And you want him to notice you and you know that he doesn't like Agrippina. So by extension, he doesn't like this other guy. So maybe I blame him for something. And then, you know, worst case scenario, I just have another enemy, but who cares? It's on the opposite side of what I want. Or best case scenario, that person actually does end up exiled or something. I get some of their stuff and Sejanus is happy with me. It could be as simple as that too. As simple as that, she said, even though that's a very complex (laughs) look into human nature. But you get what I'm saying. Is it 40 level chess? Is it just tragedy? Who knows? Moving on. I know we keep talking about all of the adults around Caligula, but let's take a second to think about what's happening for him at this point. So he's still pretty young. His two older brothers are definitely the ones that are more actively involved. Again, they're like six and seven years older than him respectively. So most of the time Caligula seems to have been an afterthought. So if you're Caligula, all that you know is that the people who come visit your mom at the house keep ending up dead in some way or another. Also, I'm sure Caligula heard his mom or his brothers or whoever talking about how bad Tiberius was, how they didn't trust him, how the brothers were the rightful heirs, the heirs of Germanicus, and maybe Tiberius shouldn't be the throne at all. Maybe Agrippina wasn't saying stuff like this at first, you know, in the beginning, but as tensions rose, as she began to think that he might poison her, whatever it is, I'm sure she started. You know, luckily for Caligula, again, at this point, he's largely an afterthought, but unfortunately, the other members of his family would soon become front and center in this chaotic world. Caligula's eldest brother, called Nero, not that Nero, but I'm sure that that Nero was in part named after this one, was engaged to his cousin Julia, not that Julia, the granddaughter of Tiberius, so one of those sons of, one of those children of Drusus, the grandchildren that we mentioned a little earlier, and they were married around 23 AD. Basically, every person in Nero's household were spies, either directly or indirectly. So first of all, Julia. Julia's mother, remember, is the lover of Sejanus. Definitely at this point, who knows when it started again, iffy. Also, yeah, so that's crazy. And so anything that Nero said to her 
was going to make it back to Sejanus because Unsold Julia was close to her mom and maybe she was doing it on purpose because her mom told her to. Maybe she was just talking to her mom about it and then her mom was like uh, manipulating her against her husband so that she could get more information for Sejanus to help him out. But either way, that's not great. And then Sejanus was straight up paying people in his household to report back to him. So that's not great. And then on New Year's Day in AD 24, Sejanus has the priests add prayers for the health of Nero and the second brother of Caligula, whose name is also Drusus, so I'm just going to call him Caligula's other brother to keep the confusion as low as possible, because I think this is like the third Drusus we've talked about. So Tiberius is not happy about this, and he told the Senate as much, because he was like, hey, uh, jealousy. I think that Tiberius was jealous a lot. Again, not in the petty way that I think is funny, but like in a kind of sad way. So Tiberius (laughs) is not happy. And so it's funny because Janus is doing something that like on the surface seems nice. Like, yeah, the, the potential heirs, let's pray for their health along with the health of Tiberius. But this just makes Tiberius angry. Was Janus just trying to be nice or was this 40 chess? Mm-hmm. Uh, something happened in 25 AD, which may have also led to Sejanus working even harder to get the family of Germanicus out of the way. And that is that he tried to marry his longtime lover, the widow of Drusus. Her name is actually Lavilla. Yeah, her name is Lavilla. But she was also the niece of Tiberius in her own right. So even though she had married Tiberius's son, so she was his ex-daughter-in-law, former daughter-in-law, she's also his niece. So she's a member of the imperial family in her own right. So if Sejanus was able to marry her, he would be marrying into the imperial family. We haven't talked about this, I think, but in ancient Rome, you had to get permission from the head of your household. I think it's the Praetor Familius. I don't know if that's the Greek or the Roman, similar purpose, but basically the head of the household gets to decide who is allowed to marry whom. And Tiberius is like, no, no, you may not. Tiberius also at the same time denied Agrippina's request to marry again. Both of these refusals were basically Tiberius saying, look, I like what I have going on in the heir department, and I don't want any other possible heirs being born. And uh, also Agrippina, I don't really want to have a possible outside man having influence on the potential heirs in your family. So I'm still in charge of you. You're not going to have someone else that you can answer to or go to for help. You're dependent on me. Also, Sejanus, I don't want Lavilla to have more children. So, uh-uh. so then in AD uh, 26, after years of spending less and less time in Rome, Tiberius finally is just like, I'm done. He leaves Rome altogether to go live in his villa on the island of Capri. He would never again step foot in Rome for the remainder of his life. So this meant that Tiberius's power in Rome was left basically solely to 
Sejanus. So the next year, Sejanus had Nero, now 21, and Agrippina both placed under house arrest. There were guards placed outside, and everything they did, said, and wrote was reported to Sejanus at this time. For Caligula, who was 14 at the time, and two of his sisters, one of his sisters I actually think is married at this point, so she's living in the household of her husband, this meant that they were sent to live with their great-grandmother Livia, the widow of Augustus and the mother of Tiberius. We brought her up a little later. She was the one that had schemed to put Tiberius on the throne in the first place. Two years later, Livia died. She was 86 in case you were wondering like, wow, she's a great-grandmother. How is she still around? Uh, by the way, it's easier to fit in several generations when you're getting married at like 14, 16, who knows? So Caligula, now 16, gave the funeral oration. Effectively, this is his first introduction to the Roman people as a young man. Remember, they look at him, they're like, ooh, Germanicus, we love Germanicus, yay. And at this point, the Caligula and his two sisters move in with their grandmother, Antonia Minor. She was the daughter of Mark Antony and Octavia, Octavian's sister, so this was on Germanicus's side. During these years, Sejanus's power was immense. Basically, all communication between Tiberius and the Senate was filtered through Sejanus, especially after Livia died. He basically started, do, started doing whatever he wanted because I think that he knew that ultimately Tiberius would listen to Livia. And even though Livia's relationship with Agrippina is reported to have been filled with strife. It seems like there were two strong female personalities, but honestly, I don't know if I believe any of that. Anyways, she still was looking out for this family. And I think that ultimately what Livia wanted was for Augustus's wishes to live out, which means that the heirs are supposed to go to the family of Germanicus. It's supposed to go to Germanicus. And so by extension, his heirs. So eventually, Tiberius wrote a letter accusing Nero and Agrippina of crimes against him. All of the information in this letter is again fed to him to Sejanus, and since Livia's gone, that's the only person that he listens to. So Agrippina's charges focus around her... I was trying to figure out exactly what it was. It really just seems like it was like excessive pr pride and plotting for plower. And Nero's focused on sexual misconduct. Again, tried to look into it more. I couldn't find exactly what that meant. But please make a mental note of this for later. It will come up a while later, but later nonetheless. And the Senate sent them both into exile on separate islands. It's unclear how Nero died around 30 AD, but one story I've heard several times is that an executor actually showed up and showed Nero a noose and hook. Basically, like, you can do this yourself, or if I really have to, I'll do this for you. So he was very much made to commit suicide. It wasn't, yeah. So then Agrippina's exile was no better. Historian Suetonius, which I actually think is the person where that executioner story comes from, said that at one point, Agrippina was beaten so badly in exile that she lost an eye. 
She either starved to death in 33 AD or had refused food and starved herself. Either way, not great. I think I've heard in stories that people in exile would ultimately resort to eating their straw mattresses. Like exile is not like, oh, I get to go to an island and uh, it's kind of like... It's lonely and little, a little isolated, but at least there's pretty flowers and there's nobody bothering me and maybe I can read. Like, no, they're in prison. They just happen to be in prison on an island. Conditions were absolutely terrible. Almost immediately, Sejanus's attention went to Caligula's other brother, the next in line, who was only a year younger than Nero. His charges, they were brought quickly and they were very similar to his brother vague charges of sexual misconduct he was arrested and put in a dungeon on the palatine hill he ultimately would never leave prison but we'll get into some of the details of this in a moment the death of germanicus's family the death the deaths in germanicus's family was extremely unpopular with the roman people since tiberius was not there he definitely was blamed like don't don't get it twisted like they still did not like him but their wrath definitely fell more so on sejanus who became if he wasn't already extremely unpopular like people could not believe that this was happening like what is going on with the imperial family how is like it's chaos so sejanus acting purely out of desire to clear his own path to power, uh, maybe, or is he just trying to get anyone who might threaten him out of the way? Uh, Suetonius says that Tiberius, always intended for these deaths, understood that Sejanus wanted power, and so he knew that if he left him to his own devices, Sejanus would carry these out, so that Tiberius wouldn't have to do them directly. Other historians seem to paint Tiberius's actions as a slow decline into, in parentheses, madness, as the pressure, fear, and isolation, even though he chose it, slowly wore on him. Either way, through Sejanus's, um, those Sejanus's attention seemed to shift at Caligula at this time, as now he's the eldest and only surviving male of Germanicus's line. Several plots seem to have been put in motion to start to undermine Caligula the way that it had happened to his brothers. But in AD 31, Sejanus shared consulship with the emperor. This is something left over from the Republic and it doesn't mean as much now, but it was almost like co-presidents that they elected every year, I think is like the best way to think of it. Uh, now that the emperor is one of them, I mean, come on. And again, they're not using the word emperor, but like I said, way too complicated to spend time. So now Antonia Minor, remember Caligula and his two sisters are living with her at this time. This is grandma. She sent a message to Tiberius saying that Sejanus was moving to take the throne for himself and possibly for Lavilla's young son, whom which he was still because he was still having an affair with her. And so she's saying, look, this is what I think is gonna happen. Either she knows of a plot, Sejanus started to get sloppy, he's making a mistake. Maybe she's just connecting the dots. 
again, very unclear. But she's saying, I think he's either going to openly try to get rid of you, marry uh, Lavilla, even though it's against your wishes, and then have her son go to power, which is why she's playing along with this. This would have been Tiberius's blood grandchild. Or maybe he's not trying to get rid of you right now, but he's definitely trying to get rid of Caligula so that this ultimately ends up being what happens after you die. Now, for some reason, maybe it's out of respect for Antonia Minor. Maybe uh, we talked about this. Maybe Tiberius has planning on doing this all along, but he appoints a new Praetorian perfect in secret and then has the Senate gather, has Sejanus go to the Senate and he sends this letter. And during the session, the letter at first, uh, vague, vague things. But then by the end of the letter, Tiberius is flat out saying, accusing Sejanus of plotting against him. And he ends up being executed that day along with his children. At this point, Drusus, uh, remember that's Caligula's other brother. There's too many Drususes is still alive in prison. And even though Sejanus was gone, Tiberius basically said something along the lines of, he's already been in prison too long, so I can't let him out now. And he ultimately ends up, I think he starves to death, maybe. And at one point, I was trying to figure out when exactly this happened, but I think Tiberius like wrote it down, like wrote down that this is what he ended up doing with with Drusus and it horrified the senators like yeah they were like what is happening so sentiment like Sejanus is gone everyone hates him now and Tiberius is they just don't there's so much fear they don't know what to do and they do not they do not like him and I think that when you dislike someone, you start to like really hold on to this hope of liking someone else. And in the back of their minds, they're thinking there's still a son of Germanicus. And I think that Caligula is already popular, but now he's the focus of all of the hopes because he's the opposite of what all of these people fear. I think that that's way, the best way to describe what's going on in the lives of the senators and maybe even your average everyday Roman. Do I think that Tiberius was actually playing 5D chess? If Sejanus was playing 4D chess, Tiberius is playing 5D chess because he was just using Sejanus to get done what he wanted, which is ultimately get rid of most of Germanicus's family. I don't know. It seems like the timing is very convenient. Like it, almost directly after almost all of Germanicus's male line is wiped out, all of a sudden he decides to listen to Antonia Minor. His, historians are split on what his motivations really are. And I don't, I don't know. We'll revisit Tiberius's 
personality and what I think he was capable of once we go through more of the story because <laughs> Tiberius is just getting started. So, you know, we'll look at this again. But Caligula, who was living with the person who ultimately brought down Sejanus, uh, there's no doubt that he's relieved that he's gone. And I think, I'm not sure if Caligula saw Sejanus as just an extension of Tiberius's like bad action, or if he thought maybe there was some separation, if Tiberius only knew how bad Sejanus really was, all of this stuff. I, I don't know what exactly Agrippina was telling him, but I mean, he's smart enough to understand like this guy was responsible for the death, ultimately of two of his brothers and his mom. So I'm and maybe it's even just the resentfulness of you know, best case scenario, Tiberius by trusting this guy allowed all of these bad things to happen. So regardless of the actual involvement level, there's just no doubt in my mind that Caligula did not like Tiberius. However, soon Tiberius soon summoned the now 18 year old Caligula to come live with him in Capri. And the danger was nowhere close to over. And on that delightful note, we are going to leave off on this episode. Thank you so much for listening. In the meantime, if you'd like to check me out on Facebook or on Instagram, both of the uh, pages are at Actually Interesting History. I also have a website that I'm updating and I've been creating more video content over on TikTok and then also like sharing it on Instagram reels, you know, all, all of the things, all of the platforms. So if you are missing your actually interesting history fix for the next episode on Caligula, it's going to be a doozy. Go ahead and check me out there. And if not, I will talk to you soon. Bye.